This podcast uses adult language. This is Kevin. And I'm Elizabeth. And this is the Lost in 83 podcast. Welcome back, Elizabeth. Good to see you, Kevin. Good to see you, too. Uh, So we wanted to cover... You know, we had talked about in a previous episode, wanting to talk more in depth about unicorns. So mm-hmm. I figured might as well get right to it and talk about it now. Okay. So, you know, what do you feel like is the definition of a unicorn? We already kind of covered a little bit, so we'll probably give a little briefer explanation. Yeah. So within the context of polyamory and open relationships, a unicorn is a bisexual woman. Usually she's younger. Usually if there's a kink element, she's submissive. Yeah. Um, and that's a unicorn. She's called a unicorn because she is often pursued by male-female couples looking for a bisexual woman to be part of their relationship. Yeah. This is very common, especially for people who are just newly discovering polyamory. So uh, there, she's called a unicorn because this situation is very hard to make work under these circumstances. And there are a lot of reasons for that. When a couple pursues a person to date as a unit, that brings up a lot of challenges. And that's why she's called a unicorn. It's because it's very tricky. So there are um, but also like really hard to find. Yeah, very true. Yeah. For a lot of reasons, I think, because it's hard to find someone who is interested in both people in the couple equally and is going to be dedicated to both people in the couple equally in the same ways. That's hard to do. Like statistically, it's just not very likely. And to kind of wind back a little bit, these expectations aren't what you and I feel like are right. These are things that uh, usually are used to define a unicorn, at least in the polyamorous community. For sure. And I've also heard it kind of boiled down to the single or available hot buy babe. Yeah. 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 Kind of pejorative term Mm -hmm. or, you know, used a little bit pejoratively at times. And I think the interesting thing is that there's ways to have a ethical triad relationship. Mm -hmm. There's an ethical way to go and try to seek out these sorts of individuals. But the problem is more and how you do it. Yeah, it's and all unicorn, about the method, yeah. Yeah, and unicorn hunting usually is the derogatory term for people who are doing this and maybe not going about it in a thoughtful, ethical way. Exactly. There's definitely a thoughtful way to do it and a non-thoughtful way to do it. Yeah. And I think that doing it the thoughtful way will cost you much less of a headache in the long run. Yeah, it's it's another one of those scenarios where there's a lot of right ways to do it. There's no one right way, but there are a few ways to do it wrong yeah. or do it in an unethical way, in our opinion. What would you say are a couple ways that it's easy to do it wrong in a unicorn hunting scenario? Uh, that's a really good question. I think that, number one, not being considerate in the planning stages, thinking about this person as a whole person with wants, needs, and desires that are also important to make sure are fit into any sort of relationship structure. I think a lot of times the concept and the thought of this thing is either fetishized or it is simplified down to a level where it's not as it doesn't fit into what a real relationship would look like Mm -hmm. you know it's a lot of idealization Mm -hmm. of what this relationship will be like and so that ends up causing 
the people seeking out this unicorn to come up usually with a whole laundry list of things that they really want out of a partner, but not thinking about what a relationship with them is going to be like and how mm -hmm. that might be something that, you know, will add value to the person's life, will, right. you know, be a happy, healthy relationship. Mm -hmm. One thing I hear a lot of unicorn hunters kind of advertise is that they have a lot of love to give. Yeah. So of course, why wouldn't a hot buy babe want to join their family, right? Yeah. So they feel like they're offering a lot when in fact, again, we mentioned earlier, like the likelihood of one person falling in love with or two people who are together in a relationship in equal ways is really like, uh, it's hard to do because yeah. people have different kinds of attractions and different kinds of connections with people in unique ways. And so when you try to go as a package deal, it's like you're really kind of kind of shooting yourself in the foot if you do it the wrong way, because yeah. you're not going to find the kind of connection that you're looking for if you go about it that way. Definitely. Uh, so maybe we should talk a little bit about our experiences. Sure. I feel like I've got a lot of experience and, and probably you as well in uh, doing like having three-way relationships or mm -hmm. triad mm -hmm. relationships in certain ways. But you have specifically a little bit of experience being a unicorn early on in your poly career. Yeah, I was like 20 and um, maybe maybe 21. No, I was about 20. And uh, so this was about 10 years ago and I started dating someone and their spouse kind of decided that I had to be with that person as well because they were married. And that wasn't what I originally wanted and it's not what I originally agreed on. So I felt a lot of pressure to be partnered with that second person, yeah. even though that's not the person that I was pursuing or dating. And so that was a, a really tough time and involved a lot of unraveling my own boundaries and my own desires. And again, it was early in my poly life. So yeah, it was tricky. And I think that's another kind of hallmark is oftentimes the people that are joining these relationships or being sought out aren't people that have a lot of experience under their belt having non-monogamous relationships. Mm -hmm. And that adds to the difficulty of achieving this well. Yeah. Like I said, most unicorns are younger. Yeah. Yeah. So my experience has been, you know, I've never overtly sought out a unicorn in order to date me and a partner, but me and a partner have incidentally both been interested in somebody yeah. and pursued them simultaneously. And the way that differed in my times doing this was I usually was very overt about there not being any sort of necessity to them wanting one or both of us that they can, that they should treat the relationships with me and my partner as separate relationships. Yes. And, you know, I always saw it and I always try to advocate for people looking at it as if you have four relationships, you have, you know, the relationship between each individual and then all three of you together. Mm -hmm. And those are all things that kind of take a little bit of different emotional work and thought. And just like with all my other relationships, I try to make sure that I'm really clear about my boundaries, my needs and my wants, and then I'm listening to what they want and need out of a relationship. And occasionally I've dated people who are new to poly and, you know, that what they need is different than the people that have been doing this for a long time. Very true. Well, cool. It sounds like you, you know, were doing it in a really thoughtful way. And like you said, some of the differentiators between like unicorn hunting and what you were doing is like treating each individual relationship as separate. 
Yeah. And I think that's very important in polyamory in general. It's easy to get wrapped up in the kind of web or net uh, formation that poly communities often take. So what do you mean by that really quick? Oh, I just mean that, you know, most polyamorous communities are fairly small or close knit. And Mm -hmm. so a lot of people, because you're exposed to the same polyamorous people, in that community on a regular basis, you all end up kind of dating each other a lot of the time. And so you aren't going to be able to go to your local poly community events without running into your exes or your ex metamors or your current metamors or whatever. So I find that there's a lot of interdating and because you're you're seeing, oh, these are the people like me, you know, these are people. And I think it is easier in a lot of ways to date within the polyamorous community rather than trying to date monogamous people and converting them or something. That's a lot harder. <laughs> you know, back to kind of the topic of unicorns and unicorn hunting, or maybe also to kind of tip off of what you just said. Don't go into a poly community expecting to date everybody. No. Don't go in there feeling like you're going to be hunted down and pursued really hard. If you are, try to find group leadership. Try to see if that's normal for that group. And mm-hmm. if that makes you feel uncomfortable, don't participate in that group. Yeah. Because that's not the way everybody wants to be treated. That's not the way every community runs. We try to run our community not like that at all. We expressly say like, hey, if you meet somebody and really kick it off, that's fine. But if we find out that you're going around and asking every single person out, then we're going to like need to talk because that's not the type of environment that we want. Right. To... It's not a meat market. Yeah. Yeah. So... In my experience, there are a few reasons why these, you know, these people are sought after more often and kind of seen as societally, like, why these relationships maybe make new couples coming into poly feel more comfortable. Do you have any thoughts or opinions on that? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that for a lot of male-female couples that are new to the idea of an open relationship, bringing in a woman to be with both of them is very appealing in a lot of ways. Um, It's more common for women to be out as bisexual than it is for men to be out as bisexual. So it makes sense that there would be a a lot of scenarios and a lot of male-female couples who are seeking a woman that will pay attention to them equally or be involved in their sex lives or even their family lives equally. One thing that can be tricky and is often debated within polyamorous communities, especially when it comes to topics like unicorn hunting, is the one penis policy. And by that, we mean a situation in which it's an open relationship or it's a multi-partner relationship, but the only penis that's allowed in the relationship is the man. And, you know, his female partners are allowed to date or have sex with other women, but not other men, because other men would be a threat. And that's usually what it comes down to, I feel. You know, I've been in a lot of different kind of configurations with different genders of people, and I've never been comfortable with the idea of a one-penis policy because I think it invalidates uh, female-female relationships. Yeah, It kind of says like, oh, it's fine if a woman sleeps with another woman because that's not a threat or it's not real sex. She's not going to be stolen away by another woman. All of that. So I think that's one part of why unicorn hunting is a kind of a popular, I mean, it's, it's a thing that you see in polyamorous communities sometimes. And so is because they're more comfortable with the idea of this like one penis policy and like finding a bisexual woman for both of them, because it seems like the most 
easy way to ease into polyamory. And for a lot of people, that is how they start. Yeah. And, you know, I kind of wanted to provide maybe a little bit of a different uh, view on one penis policies, because back in my heyday, I started briefly with a one penis policy because I was dating bisexual women. And a lot of times what I was hearing from my partners is that they wanted to they wanted openness in the relationship in order to explore their bisexuality or be able to have an outlet for their bisexuality. I didn't really do a lot of critical thinking about why it felt okay. And I've been able to like kind of think about it and talk to a lot of people who have these types of rules and kind of come to a little bit of a better understanding. I definitely think there is a sector or like a segment of the people who are doing one penis policies because either intrinsically or subconsciously, they don't feel like female-female uh, relationships are as valuable or maybe as legitimate. Yeah, or as, as acceptable. As, yeah, as a straight relationship might be or a heterosexual relationship might be. But I know looking back at my own history and talking to people, a lot of times what I hear from the men is simply that like, oh, they can't get a vagina from me. Mm -hmm. And so this is a way for them to get that. And it feels very threatening for another penis to come into the picture. Yeah, I think that's something that is a legitimate concern and feeling to have. It's much more important about what you do about it, you know, to be critical and think about why the rules are important to you. And a couple of last things that we wanted to try to cover is one, one problem I see in uh, these types of relationship structures of like attempting to find a unicorn, unicorn hunters. Sometimes there are people who don't properly understand the terminology they're using. And so they use polyamorous to mean a sexual only relationship. And just by definition, that's not really polyamory. What, what polyamory is. Polyamory right. is much more about finding multiple loving relationships. And that can take a lot of different forms. But if you're looking only for a sexual relationship, that's not usually what people mean when they say polyamorous. Right. And there are many kinds of ethical non-monogamy, but not all of them are polyamory. Exactly. Yeah. You know, finally, uh, the breakup side of things. Sometimes, you know, at some point, these relationships are going to end. Well, one way that I've seen them end and one reason, I guess, is that the pressure to uh, have an equal, equal relationship type is not really feasible because, you know, the unicorn will usually feel more strongly about one partner rather than the other. And that doesn't mean that they don't enjoy both partners, but the relationship is different for each of them. Yeah. And that can often lead to feelings of resentment, especially if there's like a live-in situation. So it's really important, and I think we've reiterated this a couple times already, but like to see each relationship that you have as individual and unique and not yeah. to put pressure on yourself or your partners to have identical relationships because that is hard for humans to replicate things exactly. I mean, in my experience, it's been impossible. Yeah. <laughs> all, when I look back at all of my relationships, every relationship felt different. Yeah, of course. And so in order to expect someone to feel the same way about two different individuals, I think is just a bad way to start a relationship off the bat. You know, setting those expectations are really, really important. I agree. And, you know, similar to what you were saying, I see a lot of people who are the unicorn end up getting pulled in multiple directions 
feeling really, really stressed out, but at the end of the day, being the one kicked out of the relationship. Yeah, usually they're the ones to get kicked out because they're not the original couple. Yeah. And yeah. so they're seen as, you know, they're less entangled with the life. They've been together for a shorter time. Oftentimes the couple will express overtly or subtly that the relationship, the primary relationship that started before the unicorn came into the picture is the more important one. Yeah. It's true. I've seen unicorn hunters very often say that everyone will be equal in the relationship, but in reality, that's not usually how it plays out. Yeah, I think that everybody should have an equal say in the rules. People should have autonomy over themselves. And in those ways, you can have equality, but you're not going to feel the same way about somebody who just came into a relationship versus somebody who you've been with for a long time, who you maybe have kids with, who you've maybe married. Yeah. All those things don't lead to an equal relationship and that's okay. Mm -hmm. But it's important to make sure that whoever comes into the relationship has a say in what happens in the relationship. They have an equal ability to be able to express their wants and desires and needs out of a relationship and have those things valued and considered. Absolutely. Exactly. And we'll be right back after a short break talking to Sarah, who's a poly-friendly therapist. And welcome back. Uh, I'm Kevin. I'm here with a special guest. Uh, We have uh, Sarah with us today. Sarah, do you want to talk about yourself just a little bit at first, and then we'll kind of get into why we brought you on? Sure. Uh, My name is Sarah Charbonneau. I am a licensed clinical social worker, and I have a couple private practices in town and primarily work with LGBTQ people, a lot of transgender, non-binary people, kink, a lot of people in the kink community, and a lot of polyamory or polyamorous people. And some of them are, there's a lot of intersections between all of those sometimes. Um, Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we've worked with you uh, in the past and done uh, uh, educational events alongside you. And so I really wanted to pull you in because I've always appreciated the things that you've had to say. And you've got a unique perspective on the polyamorous community being a therapist who advertises to and helps assist people who are in polyamorous relationships. Yeah. Yeah. I've enjoyed doing the panel discussions and things with you before. It's been fun. Excellent. Well, thanks for having me in. Of course. I'm really excited to have you with us. So I wanted to start and uh, maybe with probably the easiest question, or maybe it's the hardest, I don't know. Uh, when to seek a therapist? So when do you think it's a good idea for people to seek out a therapist? Oh, so many reasons. Well, the first is, so somebody a long time ago came in and I asked them what was coming, you know, what brought them in? How could I help? And they said they were just trying to be a better person, you know, and like try to be their best self or try to work on being their best self. And I thought that was a really cool answer. So I think a lot of people equate therapy to you. There's must be something really wrong. Um, but I don't think that necessarily has to be the case. I think sometimes it's just about personal self-awareness, self-discovery, personal development. Um, but of course, if people are struggling, which oftentimes is the case that people come in with identity issues, relationship issues is a huge one. Um, problems with communication, 
mood fluctuations or problems, you know, difficulty coping with emotions, life stressors, changes and transitions, um, you know, sometimes positive ones, sometimes painful ones. So there's a real buffet of reasons. You yeah, know, that's ob- awesome. Obviously, I'm biased because I'm a I'm a believer, <laughs> and um, so I think there's a lot of reasons to. I feel like therapy is a great way to hold us accountable. For you know, there's an objective person to give us perspective. So, I definitely agree. I think that's a great way to look at it. I have a former partner turned friend uh, who always used to say, "The people, like everybody, just needs therapy. It's mm-hmm. it's a good idea, and just do it." <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, I often struggle with feeling like I'm okay. And, you know, I think I'm good. Maybe I don't need to see my therapist anymore. But then I'm like, nope, that means I just have to keep going. <laughs> you know, and I don't, I think even when we're, we think we're well, it's still good to have a person that's outside of all of our day-to-day stuff. You know, it's just ours. So next question for you would be, how do you think that people especially people who are polyamorous would best utilize uh, therapy? Um, I can only draw upon like a lot of my experience and what Mm -hmm. has brought people in. Oftentimes it's navigating like how to get started. There's definitely some people I've worked with in relationships where they're thinking about opening up um, and have done some of their own work and talking to each other, but wanting a third person to be a part of, that process of opening up a relationship that was maybe once monogamous and now they've made a choice to go, you know, poly. Um, jealousy, for sure, is a huge, huge struggle. Um, it's a normal part of, I think, polyamory and people struggle with insecurities and jealousy, sometimes problems with communication uh, and not being able to communicate jealousy because they think they should be a good partner. To, yeah, being yeah. being a bad partner means to be a jealous partner, and that's not really the case. Exactly, right, right. So oftentimes, a good place to come into therapy and to, to try to like process that and unpack it and figure out how to communicate better. You know, how to ask for what they need, how to feel like to get normalized. You know, to be validated that like jealousy is a part of the process. So some of that, I think, being able to manage and problem solve time how to be able to do good self-care, but also be connected to partners, how to navigate metamor relationships um, is another thing that comes up a lot. For people, maybe if you haven't caught any of our previous episodes where you covered this, a metamor is your partner's partner. Yeah. So whether or not it's a, they are aware of, but they don't really associate with versus having more of a an interconnection, you know, between metamors or establishing friendships so yeah, just try to navigate that stuff. Um, trying to think of what else. Those are big ones. Yeah, I think I think you definitely hit all the major points mm-hmm. I can think of. I know one of the, at least in my experience, has been uh, in a, as a community leader, seeing what brings most people in where they're having problems, and that is usually uh, people who are monogamous opening up their relationship. Yeah. It's definitely the hard way to do things. You know, I I understand why people do it, especially because usually we're in 
committed relationships when we recognize in ourselves or start to become interested in somebody else and realize, oh, I can have feelings for more than right. one person. Exactly. Or can I? Is it okay? Yeah. 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 And I guess another area, but this, this is more of what's coming. This has come up a lot more recently based on relevance of our current life and circumstances in the world, but a lot around risk assessment. I mean, I think poly people have to do risk assessment. In fact, I think a lot of poly folks are ahead of the curve on this. They've had a lot more practice for, you know, not to prepare for a pandemic, but this is where we are. <laughs> so, you know, um, now talking to a lot of poly people about just how to manage not being able to see a lot of their partners or, you know, how to make choices on who to stay connected to, what do they do about their other partner who doesn't live with them. And, you know, that's coming up now as a whole other sort of set of issues that's a struggle. Yeah, I I was having a good laugh with one of my partners for that exact same reason that like, oh, we've been kind of doing these sorts of risk assessments and having yeah. blunt conversation with people about yep. risk factors. And and it is kind of a funny crossover that we've unintentionally uh, prepared ourselves for yep. this strange moment we find ourselves in. Uh, we're cur- I, don't, I don't know when this is going to be released, but we're currently recording at week it's, six think, of yep, yep, quarantine. Week sec- six or seven, but who's counting? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I was joking with definitely a couple people I work with about the exact same thing and how I was like, you you know, you basically we've been groomed for this, you know, we um but it's not exactly this. It's definitely bringing up new things now. But. Yeah. Yeah, having having SCI protocols has right. never prevented me from right. visiting and a partner. Right, and having to stand feet away. Uh, one of my partners works in healthcare working with patients that mm-hmm. likely have COVID and uh, it it might be fall until I see her, depending on how things are going and whether there's a true, accurate antibody test. Yep. Oh, and that's a whole other thing that I didn't even think about with why people come for therapy and stuff is also how to navigate or if they should navigate coming out to people in their life, you know, whether or not they keep this private mm-hmm. or if they celebrate their relationships with people, other people in their life or in, in their work or with family and friends. That's another, that's another big one too. Uh, for me, that is very interesting. I have lived a very lucky life in that recently in my life, I've been out to everyone, family, friends, and work, uh, which is not normal for polyamorous people. How is it for you? It's very freeing. I'm sure. Um, it happened early in my poly career because uh, my first polyamorous partner broke up with me because she had to be just my friend and she was not my partner to my family and mm-hmm. to, you know, some areas of my life. And I was like, that's a legitimate reason to break up with somebody. And now I kind of see why I wouldn't want to do that in the future. So I, I kind of immediately after that breakup came out to my parents, uh, they took it relatively rare outside of a few inappropriate questions, but can only imagine what those would be. Yeah. Uh, and so <laughs> I, I do know that being out is a big deal to a lot of people and preventing being out can be very frustrating or a very isolating experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it seems to be lately anyway, that that's a new, it's like the new struggle uh, for so many is like coming out as queer or something like doesn't even feel like the same struggle now as like coming, yeah. do I come out as poly? Do I not come out as poly? And you know, it's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's different. Uh, when do you think, uh, 
it's a good idea to bring your partners to therapy. I think the obvious first answer is making sure that your therapist is aware that you're planning on bringing somebody with you and not to just spring that on them. But outside of that. Yes. And thank you for that, because I have had that happen <laughs> where I go out to the lobby and all of a Surprise. sudden, yeah, and I'm like, oh, you brought somebody here with you. Okay. Thanks for the heads up. So yes, that. Well, I think the, you know, part of it is making sure, you know, you're like to problem solve with your therapist. I've had to do this with clients of, are we bringing in one partner? Are we bringing in more than one partner? I guess, you know, it depends on obviously the dynamic. Do people live together? Do Are multiple people living together? Who's relevant to kind of bring in to whatever the issues are? But I think probably number one is communication breakdown. It's probably one of the biggest. Or if there's been a violation of trust or a violation of an agreement and having to process that in a place where me being present, you know, helps people feel safe to navigate things or hear each other in a way they're not hearing, they're not hearing each mm -hmm. other on their own. Um, so that, those are big ones. And I've definitely had people struggle with uh, violations of open relationship agreements or, you know, something that was previously agreed upon and then somebody made a choice. So one pitfall I see a lot of people new to polyamory mm -hmm. do is try to create a lot of rules. And do you feel like uh, the violations are a result of not having good rules, having too many rules, yeah. or maybe not having enough rules? I think having vague rules um, is a, obviously a huge um, minefield. You know, like how specific were we? you know, like in, in saying we were okay with what we said we were okay with and being really cl crystal clear because a lot of times then they think they're on the same page, yeah. but it turns out somebody did violate the rule or the, the agreement without knowing it. And then they were like, oh, we talked about that. And, and, and it turns out it was too vague. It wasn't specific enough. Do you mind if I throw in an example real quick? Sure. I can too. Yeah. Do, do you feel like maybe a good example might be that uh, a partner and somebody else decided to have a rule with no physical intimacy and somebody kissed another person and one person viewed that as intimacy and the other one didn't. Mm -hmm. okay. Yep. Or um, certain types of physical intimacy that is okay, but it'll be like, sure, you can hang out, you can spend the night, but you can't do this or that. And, mm -hmm. but it, but what they say this or that too, isn't as specific as it needs to be. Or, gotcha. um, I mean, recently in this whole pandemic thing, there's definitely been a couple people where it's like, Hey, I want to go hang out with so-and-so. And they're like, okay, yeah, but you've got to like, make sure to maintain all the parameters. And then it turns out that they, I don't know, rode in the car together or something. And they were like, well, we didn't touch. We didn't, you know, wasn't See, six I've got feet. this toy on a very long pole, <laughs> a five foot pole. <laughs> Problem solved. <laughs> right. Oh, that's funny. In fact, I was just listening to a podcast earlier today about somebody who was carrying a pole around with them when they were going on dates so that they could hold the, hold the pole on either side of each other to maintain <laughs> like a physical, like tangible thing, but still be connected. I thought it was kind of sweet. <laughs> that, that is really cute, actually. <laughs> Everybody walking down the street, especially the bicyclists, ate them. <laughs> yeah, some clotheslining might happen. <laughs> So do you see a lot of people create rules around uh, having feelings for one another? It's one of the things I've seen recently in online posts and communities I'm involved with. 
of people, you know, less so in polyamorous circles, but more so in other types of ethical non-monogamy, like swinging. Mm-hmm. You see this where people make rules against ha- catching feelings for somebody. Yes. Yeah. I was curious or... what your thoughts might be on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's definitely this like, oh, you can have you can have sex. You can go have sex with that person. But then later it's like, well, you like to go have sex with them a lot. Do you love them? Because that's not okay. Or do you have feelings for them? Because as often as you'd like to go have sex with them, you know, you must have feelings for them. And then feelings are bad. Yeah. So yes, that has definitely come up. There's also a layer, and I know this isn't relevant to everyone all the time, but Mm -hmm. like there's also a layer with like people in the kink community or if there's a kink dynamic, I see there's sometimes a struggle there too with like if there's a DS dynamic power exchange, if there's a dom sub, who's allowed to do what with who can kind of get sometimes squirrely Mm -hmm. if if there isn't that respect of each person having their own right to what they want without the power exchange being the locus of control i guess you know there's been some few few problems that have come up with that that i've had to help people navigate primarily on the sub side gotcha i I have generally dissuaded people from using rules against catching Mm -hmm. feelings because my personal opinion experience has been that i have very little control over what i feel and a lot of control over what i do Uh, Do you feel like that's generally like good advice or you feel like that might be misplaced? No, I think it's, I think it's generally good advice. I'm, I'm, I mean, I think it's valid to acknowledge that we can't have full control, you know, and I go over this with, with people who are talking about opening up relationships or having open relationships is just to state the reality that like, it is a possibility and it's part of, I think the risk or the choice, the like intention you have to set. Like if you make an intention to have an open relationship dynamic, you kind of go into it knowing it's a possibility. And what are we going to do if that happens? Can we plan for the possibility before all of a sudden you get blindsided by, oh my God, how could this happen? You know, mm-hmm. like, cause of course it's possible, you know, not everybody can switch it on and off. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. We're going to use that to conclude, uh, this segment, but you're going to be coming back for another segment uh, for next episode. And I'll talk to you again then. Awesome. Thanks. You can find us on Twitter, through email, or on Reddit. To submit your questions or to recommend topics, please reach out to our contact info in the show notes. This episode was edited by Jordan Davis. Music is by Auntie Lude and logo designed by Carmen Bolden. <laughs>